0: Hi, I'm Dr. Marsha, and you're listening to the Self-Care Chronicle. As a licensed psychologist, I know the importance of self-care in maintaining my mental wellness. But I'm often pretty busy running around trying to help others navigate their way through life. And when my schedule gets really hectic, I struggle with self-care, the very self-care that I always recommend to other people. And that made me wonder, am I the only one? How do other mental health professionals handle their self-care? So I reached out to a bunch of my peers and asked them if they would talk to me about their experiences. Join me each week as I chat with a fellow mental health professional about stress management and self-care. Welcome to the Self-Care Chronicle. And welcome to episode eight of the Self-Care Chronicle. I'm Dr. Marsha. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of chatting with Dr. Paul Bryan. Dr. Bryan is a licensed psychologist, as well as the owner and operator of Woodlake Psychological Associates in Palm Springs, Florida. Dr. Bryan is an incredibly well-known and well-respected mental health expert with over three decades of experience in the field. For more information on Dr. Bryan, After the show, go to DrMarshaBrown.com to check out his full bio and links to his website. And welcome, Dr. Brian. Thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to chat with me.
1: And thank you for inviting me. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. So let's just jump right into it. My first question is, can you talk a little bit about your journey into psychology specifically, how did you decide to become a psychologist and what was your path to your population of expertise?
1: Okay. Yeah. So basically I really don't have some amazing story to tell about how I got to where I am now, but basically it's this. I didn't have any, let's say family or relatives that were in the field of psychology that I one of the following their footsteps. I didn't have that. In fact, I was the uh, first person in my immediate family to even go to college. But you know, once I got to college, I was thinking, "Well, let me major in business," and I just kind of picked it out of the hat. But actually, I don't recall taking any kind of business courses in college. But I do remember when I was in high school, I took a course in psychology, and I liked it. So then I decided, you know what, I'm going to major in psychology because I want to help people. So then I majored in psychology in undergrad and I liked it I enjoyed it and before I left college, I decided that I wanted to further my education and get a degree in psychology and so I went to University of Florida and got my clinical psychology degree from there and that was a good experience in Gainesville. So once I finished my degree in clinical psychology, I was looking for a job and I looked in South Florida and I found a position at a private psychiatric hospital. And there I became a staff psychologist for a, an adult unit. And I did that for about four years. I would say four years. And then my supervisor at that time and I decided that we wanted to go into private practice. So that's what we did. And while we were in practice, we had an opportunity to do some pre-employment evaluations for Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office wasn't anything that I thought about at graduate school, but we did that. And so we got really interested in doing that, got pretty good at it. And over the years, I now do about 25 plus agencies in Palm Beach County, Broward County, Dade County. In other words, these are people who are interested in becoming police officers or corrections officers or firefighter paramedics. They have to pass a psychological before they can do that. So I do that. That's probably seventy-five percent of what I do in my practice right now. And then I'm also doing some forensic work, where basically I evaluate people who have been arrested, and they are the court order is asking if the person is competent to stand trial, or competent to proceed. And I also do evaluations to determine if a defendant was insane, quote-unquote, at the time of a crime that they committed. The other evaluations I do has to do with trying to determine if somebody needs a guardian to help them make major decisions in their lives. So I do those evaluations as well. 25% of what I do is seeing private patients, which I enjoy doing. And so that's kind of what happened and how I got to where I am now in that field.
0: That's really interesting. So you have a private practice, but within your private practice, there are a lot of different things that you do. You mentioned that you do some pre-employment screenings for law enforcement, first responders, people in those fields, and then competency evaluations, sanity evaluations, and then a smaller proportion of your practice is the private patients that you see. Can you talk a little bit about what the most stressful thing about your job is?
1: I would first of all say that it's a challenge to do the pre-employment evaluation for law enforcement because, you know, you want to get it right. You want to make sure you get people out there that are good at what they do and are going to do a good job for the community. So I feel like this is just a, my part in doing what I can for the community. Now, that's not stressful. It's just challenging. So for me, the stress part may come when I'm dealing with my private patients, right? And I realize that everybody that I see, I'm not able to help to the extent that I really want to. Most of them I can do that with, but they're, for whatever reason, you can't always help everybody, right? So that's part of it. But even more stressful, I think, is just making sure that I don't lose a patient to suicide. Because you do have a lot of people who are depressed and not everybody, of course, not everybody who's depressed is suicidal, but some people are. So you have to make a decision sometimes as to whether or not they need to be in a hospital or you can come up with an agreement or, you know, to keep them safe. That's probably the most stressful thing to make sure that people are safe and they can get past the depression and not end up committing suicide. And luckily, and I'm blessed, and they are too, I think, the fact that that's never happened. Well, that's probably the most stressful thing they should have said.
0: That's very high stakes. I was going to say, it sounds like the pre-employment screening for the law enforcement would be, in addition to challenging, very stressful. But you are saying that it's really the private patients just making sure that they're okay, making sure that they don't hurt themselves, especially when they, I'm you know, assuming, are in really difficult situations that are causing them a great deal of distress.
1: That's correct. You're right.
0: Okay. All right. Can you talk a little bit about have you had situations where you've had maybe more than one case or more than one patient at one time that was that heavy where you're just trying to make sure that everyone's okay and you're trying to make sure that more than one patient doesn't attempt to harm or kill themselves? And if you've had situations like that, can you talk a little bit about how you dealt with the stress of trying to keep everything together and make sure that everyone was safe.
1: You know, sometime, I guess, around the beginning of COVID, maybe around that time, actually a little before January, I would say, I had a couple of young people, you know, in their 20s, right, who came to me, at least two or three, around almost the same time, who was very depressed and even suicidal, So one patient, I had to have him hospitalized. The good thing is that he was with his father, and they agreed for him to go to the hospital. He did, and he came out, and I still see him. He's doing really well. And the other person is doing well also. Didn't have to go to the hospital. So yeah, I had two or three young people with this problem all at the same time, but they're doing okay now. I had one lady some years ago who actually made an attempt And when she came to my office, she explained that to me and went on to the next topic. But I told her, you know, we need to go to the hospital. She didn't want to go, but she went and she's okay. So yeah, I've had that happen before. Right now, things are pretty okay now. People are pretty stable right now. And so we're doing pretty good, I think, overall with that.
0: You know, that's good that right now everything is stable and that everybody is doing well. Can you talk a little bit about, and you mentioned this at the beginning of COVID, you had a few younger patients who were in a great deal of distress. They were in a position where they wanted to harm themselves. Can you talk about how your practice itself has changed since COVID? Can you talk about how COVID itself has changed the way that you are able to deliver services to the people that you serve?
1: Right. Well, one thing that Obviously, I think most small businesses had concerns about was to either have to shut down or to lay off employees or to cut back on their hours, that kind of thing. That was a major concern. Luckily, I never had to lay off anyone, didn't have to cut back hours. But I did take advantage of the what is called Paycheck Protection Program. So that came through for me. And because of that, I was able to sustain and keep things going. But as far as patients go, the candidates, the pre-employment evaluations that we did, we saw considerably less of those people. So that kind of was pretty significant for us. But my private patients, we decided to do, I decided to do, like everybody else, telehealth sessions or Zoom sessions with patients. So that was good to be able to do that. Some patients still wanted to come to the office, and I allowed that to happen. We wore masks, of course. We social distance and we did everything we needed to do to keep my office and everybody safe. So that's kind of what happened with the change in the COVID, less patients or less pre-employment evaluations, of course, able to maintain everybody working in the office, not to cut back hours, but seeing people telehealth, something I had not been doing on a regular basis before, but I learned to do that and just worked out pretty well, the telehealth sessions with patients.
0: And that was actually something you said that I was curious about. You said that for telehealth, you hadn't been doing that on a regular basis prior to COVID-19. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. I'm old school. So basically, in terms of COVID and, and telehealth, that's not something that I was doing prior to COVID. But obviously, I'm doing that now, and it works pretty well. There's some patients who still want to come to the office, which is great. They can come, uh, we just wear a mask and we social distance and take all the precautions. And so we do a combination of both uh, telehealth and patients coming to the office. Had not been doing that prior you know, to COVID, but it's good now. It works well. It's works really well. So I'm good with that.
0: And that's interesting because you hadn't been doing it before. Was there any kind of adjustment for you in terms of getting used to? having a session with a screen in between you and your patient versus, you know, as psychologists, we're usually used to treating patients when we're in the room and face-to-face. So can you talk about whether or not you experienced any kind of adjustment to that and what that was like?
1: Well, one thing was sometimes the uh, your voice was kind of, there's a delay. And so that was kind of weird sometimes there a delay in terms of what you're saying and them hearing you and responding to you. But didn't always happen. Sometimes it did. So that was one adjustment. And then, you know, there are times when I want to give them handouts. So I had to figure out a way to do that, which was pretty simple. I would just scan it to them, and they would get it that way. So I had to figure out how to get paperwork to them, whether it's uh, any kind of screening measure or just handouts. I wanted them to read. So that was the adjustment, and that worked pretty well for people who could maneuver and get that done.
0: Okay. And now can you talk a little bit about for you, how do you decompress or how do you make sure that you are taking care of yourself so that you're in a good place to be able to serve all of the people that you serve? Right.
1: Yeah. It's okay. Well, the main thing is the fact that I'm working. So actually working is therapeutic really because I enjoy what I do. And so having work and being able to work and not worry about my employees working is helpful and to me part of my self-care to do that the other thing is i have to tell myself to practice what i preach in other words if i'm talking to patients about things that they might want to try for self-care i need to also do those same things to practice what i preach it's been helpful to me and obviously with COVID. I think self-care is even more important to make sure that, you know, we engage in self-care kinds of activities. The other thing, too, I know is important for my self-care is to keep in mind that this too shall pass. This COVID-19 thing will be over. And to keep that at the forefront of my mind and also try to convey that to my patients. And then in the meantime, even though we have a vaccine, Part of my self-care is to continue to practice various precautions, you know, social distancing, mask wearing, and, you know, things of that nature. Tell my patients the same thing. Don't get complacent just because of the vaccine or because that we're tired of COVID, but just kind of hold on until we can say that it's over.
0: Right. Okay. So I want to go back for one second because something that you said first you didn't phrase it in this way but what popped into my head when you talked about realizing that you're able to work and that you're not having to worry about for example employees who might not be able to work or who may be impacted by this but you're able to think about this is what you love doing and you're able to do it so to me it sounds like part of your self-care is gratitude And being able to say, well, look what I still get to do. I still get to do what I love to do, despite everything that's going on.
1: Right. Because obviously so many people are not in that position. As we know, a lot of people are not able to work, you know, losing money, income, having to get unemployment, you know, not able to eat. So yeah, I am grateful. You're right about that. That's for sure. The other thing, too, I I didn't mention that I terms of self-care is this exercise. I exercise pretty much every day and I try to get 10,000 steps in every day. So that's really been helpful for me and of course staying in touch with family and friends as much as I can has been helpful for my self-care as well.
0: Right. That's a very helpful aspect of self-care, the exercise, just moving your body and taking care of yourself. So the gratitude, the exercise, and something else that you mentioned that I think is so important and so spot on is the idea of perspective, so you said this too shall pass. So just the idea that knowing it's not a great situation, but this is not forever.
1: That's correct. You're right.
0: Right. Okay. And can you talk a little bit more about that? You know, perspective and how that's helped you. Okay. During stressful
1: times. Yes. Uh, certainly. In anything. In terms of our thought patterns and the way we think and what we think and people we can get into distortions and which can create emotions that you don't necessarily want to feel. And so by saying that this is going to pass is realistic. It's not unrealistic. And particularly with the vaccine coming forward now, we know it's going to pass. And so not just me telling myself that, but being able to convey that to, to friends and family and my patients so that they can hold on and continue to be uh, careful about what they do so that you know they don't get sick, nothing happens to them. So that's pretty much it, just keeping that perspective and really telling yourself it'll be okay and telling yourself that this is not forever and we're doing things to not only protect yourself but showing care for other people when you wear a mask, for example, and not visiting family, but as I would want to for Christmas visit my family in Savannah but I'm not because I don't want to be a problem or God forbid, pass on a cohort to a family member, my sister who's older than I am. I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to stay put and encourage people to do the same.
0: Absolutely. Have there been for you, because I, I don't know about you, but when I get really busy, when things get really hectic, my self care definitely suffers, whether it's staying up way too late or just not getting enough sleep in general. and burning the candle at both ends, but can you talk a little bit about for you, have there been any challenges or is there anything that you have found challenging in terms of making sure that you keep up with your self-care?
1: Yeah. As you alluded to, uh, you know, just being consistent with self-care, that's hard to do. I mean, it's hard for me to do because sometimes I don't sleep, get enough sleep, not because I can't sleep, but because I'm just up watching TV or doing things, and I really need to get more rest. So just realizing that we're all human, no one's perfect, that we don't always do things on a consistent basis. However, being consistent is important. And even if something disrupts your routine, where maybe out of town or there's a funeral or something happens, to try to right away get back to your routine and realize that being consistent is important and to just be aware of that and realize, again, like I said, we're human. And sometimes we're not going to be as consistent. We're going to let go some things. We're going to not do some things. But I think it's important to just not give up and say, listen, I didn't do what I needed to do yesterday. I didn't walk like I normally walk. But today I'll get back on and begin walking again as opposed to just saying the heck with it and, uh, you know, not doing something that you know works for you. So just being consistent.
0: Right. Yes, definitely. Consistency. Mm -hmm. And then just another question for a lot of people, their journey to finding what works for them in terms of self-care is sort of a trial and error until they get to those things that they know make them feel better. So in your case, it's exercise. And for some people, it's yoga or reading or journaling or whatever the case may be was your journey more of a trial and error or were you able to find things that worked for you that replenished your stores early on in your self-care journey?
1: Well, I think it's, as it's been so much trial and error. It's been some of the things that I know have worked for me. Exercise has always been something I've, I've done you know, pretty much all my life. And as I got older, I realized how important that is to do. And so I used to go to the gym pretty regularly until COVID, but I found another way. I can walk in my neighborhood. I can walk, you know, and enjoy walking around the lake and there's a lady who the lake where I walk around, she puts out these inspirational messages on the sidewalks. So I look forward to that. I think that kind of motivates me to walk. So no, it's not been so much trial and error. It's things that I already know work that has worked for me. Maybe I need to do more of that, like hanging out with my sons sometimes and going to baseball field. He's a was a baseball player so doing the kind of things that I know I used to enjoy doing with him so you know doing those kinds of things so no it's not trial and error it's just things that I know have worked for me before and just decided to go ahead and execute those things to the best that I can
0: okay that makes sense that makes a lot of sense well thank you so much for you know taking the time to sit down and to talk to me about self-care and what that Journey has been like for you and all the things that you implement to take care of yourself. The very last part of the interview is something that I, you know, was calling the lightning round. Now I just call it sort of the finisher, which is the last thing to top off the interview. It has nothing to do with self care or psychology, but I'm always really interested because I'm just, you know, fascinated by people's answers. So for this question, Have you ever heard of something called the zombie apocalypse?
1: Zombie (laughs) zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. You have heard of it. Excellent. Okay. So you know that at the beginning of every, you know, zombie movie, television show, whatever the case may be, some sort of contagion hits, people start to get sick and they start to notice that people are turning into zombies or whatever the case may be. And in most cases, there's a choice. You need food, shelter, and weapons. Food, obviously, because we need food, shelter to hide from the zombies and weapons in order to protect yourself. But in many cases, you can only concentrate on one thing at a time. So for you, it's the zombie apocalypse, and you have to choose to either get food, shelter, or weapons. Which one do you choose and why? (laughs)
1: You know, I'm a fan of The Walking Dead. Okay, so I I watch The Walking Dead. I watch Fear The Walking Dead. I watch that show, and they have to do all those things: weapons, food, shelter, the whole nine yards. So, if I had to pick one thing, my gun. Let me see. Wow. Well, I think I would just I would choose food because without food, you can't survive. I mean, so I, I would choose food. If I had to pick one thing, obviously, I would want to pick all three, but food would be the most important thing to be concerned about right away. And the other things I have to worry about as I go along, I guess.
0: Okay. So, so food, food first, and then you worry about the other stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd worry about it, but since there's only one thing, one choice, I'm going to go with food. Okay. Eat, so
0: Excellent. Okay. That's interesting. That's an excellent answer. Thank you so much again for sitting down and chatting with me and take care
1: oh you're quite welcome thank you bye-bye Bye bye.
0: thank you for joining me for the self-care chronicle if you liked this episode please pass it along to someone else who might enjoy it to find out more about today's episode or listen to additional episodes visit drmarshabrown.com and click on deconstructing stress That's D R M A R S H A B R O W N dot com and click on Deconstructing Stress. See you next time.